You're listening to the Oddscast, the original UFC betting podcast that's straight to the point. Hosted by leading MMA oddsmaker Nick Kalikas and MMA journalist Brian Hemminger, they provide you the absolute best UFC betting info, picks, statistics, and analysis from the most respected authority in mixed martial arts betting. MMAoddsbreaker.com. Don't place your wagers without us. Welcome to the Oddscast. I'm Brian Hemminger, joined today by leading mixed martial arts oddsmaker Nick Kalikas of Circus Sports to break down this Saturday's UFC Vegas 24 event, which takes place in Las Vegas, Nevada. If you're unfamiliar with our format, Nick and I will break down the fight card from top to bottom, providing extensive analysis and a pick for each fight after doing our film study for the event. UFC Vegas 24 features an 11 fight card in total and will be aired on ESPN Plus and ESPN this Saturday night. Let's dive right in. Now, kicking things off on the preliminary card is a Bantamweight fight featuring Tony Gravely, who is 20-6, and six, and Anthony Burchak, who is 15-7. and seven. Now, Nick, where did this fight open, and how has the public shifted things so far? As always, a couple quick notes before we get rolling here. Our opening betting odds that I'm going to be quoting are from MMAOddsBreaker.com, our opening betting odds article, UFC Vegas 24, done by Adam Martin. So those are market-wide prices that we're opening odds. And our updated odds are going to be courtesy of Circus Sports here in Las Vegas, also available in Colorado. So if you're in Nevada or Colorado, make sure you download the Circus Sports app and get your bets in. It's the best place to bet on MMA. And also make sure you head over to UFC Fight Pass and check out UFC On the Line for UFC Vegas 24. Uh, we did complete a full show and we have all my bets and breakdowns on that show. And it's actually up on YouTube. So if you go to the UFC YouTube channel, you can watch it for free. You don't need a Fight Pass subscription this time out, which is pretty cool as well. They just kind of put it out there for free um, as a little added bonus. So make sure you head over to UFC on YouTube or UFC Fight Pass and check out the latest episode of UFC On the Line. Now, getting right into the fights for this weekend's card. As Brian mentioned, Gravely opened minus 205, the comeback on Burchek plus 175. And right now, looking over at Circus Sports, we currently have Gravely at minus 315, the comeback on Burchek at plus 265. So a lot of Gravely action market-wide coming in, and the line did obviously get bumped up quite a bit. Not much respect on Burchek. I think a lot of the newer fans and a lot of the newer betters out there really – don't have much love for him as far as, I mean, he's got that chin issue that he's had throughout his career a little bit. And I don't think he's been overly impressive from what they've seen in the UFC throughout his career. So I think people are kind of discounting him here a little bit. I mean, Gravely's looked pretty solid overall. He's a good wrestler, good grinder. He should have a little bit of a stand-up edge here as well. So this is a very good fight and it could be competitive back and forth, especially on the ground. I think that's where they can give each other problems. Burchick has a very good ground game, very underrated, I think, on the ground as a whole. And he's capable of giving Gravely some problems if he takes his back or gets that submission and wrestling game going. Now, Gravely does have, like I said, good wrestling in his own right and a good ground game. So this is a case where if they get exposed, meaning that if somebody gets the other person's back, I can see this fight ending. So th this could be the way in path of victory for Burchick to pull off the upset. But overall, I mean, I think Gra Gravely is a little bit more durable, and I think he is the better point fighter in this situation. So I expect him to hang in there and do just enough possibly to finish Burchick or win on the scorecards if it does go. So he should be the rightful favorite in this spot. I just don't agree with the line being this highly priced. Even if Gravely goes out there and just smacks him with one punch and puts him out, I still think the line is overinflated and Burchek is better with it than the current betting odds indicate. I think the opener was a little bit more fair, to be honest with you. So good luck to those of you who already bet it. But for me, I'm going to pick Gravely to win. I'm just not confident at the betting window with him. And I like Gravely as well. I mean, he had uh, good performances uh, to earn his trip to the UFC, um, getting a one-sided victory on Contender Series, was a champion of both King of the Cage and CES. Um, and then in his debut, I mean, he had a tall task against Brett Johns, a really solid fighter. And while he didn't win, fight of the night. Um, and then he ended up uh, picking up that first UFC win uh, most recently against uh, Geraldo DeFreitas. Now, uh, that was a split decision victory over DeFreitas, and he did show some conditioning issues in that fight. So there is a little bit of concern heading into this one because... Uh, Burjack's no walk in the park either. I mean, this guy is pretty talented. He's got some striking ability. He's got some submission ability. Um, you, you cannot sleep on him. Uh, you know, he was a former, uh, I believe, MFC champion back in the day in Canada. 
Um, and he does have some talent. He He's racked up a couple wins in the UFC. So um, if Gravely's taking him lightly or if Gravely is, um, you know, runs out of steam like he did in his last fight, Burchak absolutely could take this fight over as uh, the fight wears on, maybe even get a late finish. So I'm a little nervous about whether or not Gravely's conditioning um, holds up. But if it does, he should be able to win here. I mean, he is big and strong and his wrestling is better than Burchak. So I can see him getting uh, takedowns and keeping Burchak down and pounding away and winning rounds. Um, and I think on the feet, he's good enough that he can hold his own with Burchak on the feet as well. Um, and his chin should be able to hold up. So unless he completely gasses, um, I think Gravely walks away with a competitive but uh, should-be-obvious decision. So Gravely is my pick. Now, moving up to the lightweight division, we have Austin Hubbard, who is 12-5, taking on Dakota Bush, who is 8-2. Now, Nick, what's the MMA oddsmaker's perspective on this one? Hubbard opened minus 175, the comeback on Bush plus 145. And right now looking over at Circus Sports, we have Hubbard minus 180, the comeback on Bush plus 155. This is another one of those situations where I'm intrigued by this fight. I mean, immediately I, I lean towards Hubbard, which I think most people are as well. Um, he's just faced a lot of good wrestlers throughout his career. He's been in the grinder. He's ended up coming out okay overall. Like he's getting better and adapting to that kind of style of fighting. We've seen him have success or better success even in a loss um, against these type of fighters and continuing continuously improving and making life miserable for guys in this spot plenty of times. Right. So I think he has solid standup and again, his wrestling continues to improve defensively and offensively. So Hubbard is no easy out. I know he got submitted rather quickly and a little bit uh, surprisingly, I guess how that all went down in his last fight uh, against Solecki, but Solecki, obviously we've seen he's just a different level on the ground. Not that Bush is not, but I think Bush does, present some obstacles here again for Hubbard because he does go for those takedowns and he does have a very good submission game in his own right. So that is going to be another challenge that Hubbard has to face here. Bush is also constantly developing his stand-up skill, has a little bit of pop on his punches, a little bit of power to go along with it. So this might be a closer fight than we're all anticipating, but styles make fights. And for me, I do lean a little bit more towards Hubbard because I think, like I said, he's kind of been there, done that. And this matchup shouldn't be too surprising for him. I think the only way he does lose this fight is if we are underestimating Bush's overall grappling and wrestling skills or that Bush just goes out there and just catches him with a one punch knockout KO or something like that. Kind of almost flukish on the feet. But as far as the ground game, I think that is Bush's path to victory and he can attempt to kind of grind Hubbard out and at least keep this a uh, competitive fight. But as the fight progresses, everybody always gets tired and starts to gas against a guy like Hubbard. So not an easy spot to make your UFC debut. Bush will be game, but I have to pick Hubbard here at the betting window again. It's not the easiest bet either, because I think the, the line is probably appropriately priced at this moment. And I like Hubbard as well. I think uh, Bush is a pretty talented fighter. The The problem is um, he's basically a poor man's version of Hubbard's original opponent, uh, Nathan Levy, who uh, basically was as at least as good of a wrestler as Bush, but actually had better striking, too. So Hubbard really doesn't have to worry too much about the stand-up here. And as long as he's been training his takedown defense and preparing for a wrestler, I think that it's going to be an even easier um, type of fight because he just has one less thing to worry about. So uh, Hubbard, you know, keep his hands low, avoid overcommitting. And I think his takedown defense is good enough that he should be able to fend off Bush. I mean, he has had trouble. With guys that have really good ground games in wrestling, like um, you know Madsen and Selecki. so it's possible that Bush could uh, outgrapple him and and get takedowns and hold him down. But uh, I think that Bush is you know a pretty steep drop from the wrestling and skill level in MMA of those two. So Hubbard, I think, keeps this upright, and he should have a significant striking edge, and he at least outpoints his way to victory. But I could definitely see him getting a finish along the way, especially with uh, Bush stepping in on short notice. I'm not sure that his, uh, you know, had a full training camp and that his conditioning is going to hold up. So I'm going to go with Hubbard by either 
strong decision, or maybe even late TKO. Now, moving up to the middleweight division, we have Gerald Mearshart, who is 31 and 14, taking on Bartos Fabinski, who is 15 and 4. Now, Nick, where did this fight open, and how has the public shifted things so far? Fabinski opened minus 150, Mearshart plus 130. Right now, looking over at Circus Sports, we are currently seeing Fabinski down to minus 125, the comeback on Mearshart at plus 105. So, Interesting fight here, man. And styles make fights, as we always say. Fabinski obviously comes into this fight looking to grapple, looking to kind of grind people out, looking for those takedowns. I mean, he's okay on the feet, has a little bit of power that you have to respect, but nothing special, really. Mearshart, on the other hand, he likes it when the fight's on the ground, obviously. I mean, submission ability is his best attribute as well. So he's got that slick, unorthodox, but effective submission game. His stand-up is probably ahead of Fabinski overall. But he's a little bit chinny, and obviously his durability is coming into question more and more as he gets older and progresses in his career. So hard to trust either one of these guys. I mean, if Fabinski does what he does best and takes his fight to the ground, I think he can get submitted here by Mearshart. So that's why people, I think, are betting Mearshart as an underdog, and I can understand it and I can respect it. Uh, but if he doesn't get caught, I think Fabinski at least wins on the scorecards or maybe even has potential to finish uh, Mearshart along the way here as well. So Something's going to give. I don't think this fight does hit the cards, so I'm going to lean a little bit more towards Mearshart getting that submission finish on the ground. And I agree with you. Um, you know, Gerald Mearshart has an exceptional ground game, and uh, Fabinski, for all his faults, um, he has a game plan when he fights, and he sticks to it. I mean, he's physical, he's strong, he has good wrestling, good top control, and pretty good ground and pound. And it doesn't really seem to matter who he's facing. He's going to be trying to implement that game plan of taking you down and beating you up, um, grinding you out. And um, I think that that's going to be to his disadvantage if he does that against Mearshart. I mean, um, we've already seen that it's it can backfire with his last fight. Um, Muni, uh, he took down Muniz, Andre Muniz, and he ended up getting armbarred in the first round. So... I think if he does, and he, I think he has the better wrestling here, but if he takes Mearshart down, I think Mearshart has a better ground game than Muniz. So uh, he is really playing with fire. Um, uh, Mearshart has an exceptional ground game. We've seen him tap out people uh, left and right. He tapped out Darren Wynn. He tapped out Trevin Giles. He tra- tapped out Oscar Piahoda. Um, he tapped out Ryan James. He tapped out, you know, Joe Gigliotti, um, basically every one of his wins in the UFC so far has been by stoppage. Only one has been from uh, from strikes, uh, and that was the one time he faced somebody that had a ground game about as good as him in uh, Spicely. So I don't expect Mearshart to want this fight to stay standing, but he probably isn't going to be the one that makes that decision because uh, his wrestling is not as good as Fabinski's. But Fabinski probably wants to take it down too on the feet. Neither is a world beater. I actually do think Mearshart has some striking. He has added some to his game, but he might be tentative because he did improve his striking. He still ended up losing decisions to Kevin Holland and Eric Anders, uh, guys that were better strikers than him. And then most recently, his last two fights, he got finished in the first round by Ian Heinish and Kamzat Chimaev. So uh, he might be a little nervous to be standing and banging with anybody. Uh, after what's happened. Now, Fabinski doesn't have that type of stand-up power. He has pretty good power from top position on the ground, but uh, he's not the type of guy that's you know going to be hitting, landing a, a big overhand right and knocking you out stiff on the feet. But that might be his best path to victory because, again, if he takes Mearshart down, he could get in a lot of trouble. So uh, this fight could go either way for me, but um, I'm going to stick with my guns and go with Mearshart. I think it does go to the ground and Mearshart sweeps or throws up a submission and puts Fabinski in a bad spot. Um, we've seen Fabinski get tapped out in two of his last three fights. And I think Mearshart might have the best ground game of anybody that he's faced in his last three fights. So uh, I think Mearshart does wrap up something or latch onto something and crank it or twist it or squeeze and force a tap. Uh, but Stranger things have happened, especially with how inconsistent and uh, tough it's been for both of these guys in recent fights. But my pick will be Mearshart. Now, dropping all the way down to the women's strawweight division, 
we have Jessica Penney, who is 12 and 5, taking on Lupita Godinez, who is 5 and 0. Now, Nick, what's the MMA oddsmaker's perspective on this one? Godinez, open minus 185 to come back on Penney at plus 155. And right now, what we're seeing over at Circus Sports is currently Godinez minus 285 to come back on Penney at plus 240. So line skyrocketed up a little bit. I mean, Penny's been out for so long. I mean, she had that suspension. She's aging a little bit. I mean, she's not obviously in the prime of her career. I believe she's 38 years old. So there's a lot to kind of dislike about Penny coming back and fighting in this spot here. And whereas Godinez is actually an up-and-coming fighter, um, obviously she's fresher in MMA years. She's younger, obviously, as well. So there's a lot to like about her. She's an up-and-coming potential star in the UFC. So this is a really good opportunity for her. I think that's why people are anticipating her to get the W here. It's going to be a hard-fought test for her because Penny is definitely the most skilled fighter, I think, overall complete fighter that Godinez has probably faced in her career. But I think she's ready for it. I think she can hang with Penny on the feet, actually outpoint her there, do some damage. I think she hits a little bit harder. I think she's got enough wrestling to control where the fight goes uh, on the ground as well. So I think she's got to be okay no matter what position she gets in um, during this fight. And she's going to probably be able to outscore and outpoint Penny and maybe even do some damage along the way. So I like it. I think it is going to be more competitive than probably that we're all anticipating because Penny has some skill. I think she's a little bit underrated on the feet. A lot of people are going to scratch their head and think, what are you crazy? But I think it's true, man. I mean, she uses that length. She's not bad. She's tough. She comes to win. Um, obviously she's hittable and, and she could get in tr- some trouble at times. Uh, but at the same time, I, I really think that she's better than people ever give her credit for her historically in her UFC career. I think she's a very solid out. So a good matchup. I think it's a good, solid fight for Godinez to come in here and impress. And it's a good spot for Penny to come in here and pull off the upset and kind of get right back in the mix, even at age 38. So interested and curious to see how this one plays out. But I do believe that it's Godinez for the W here. And I'm going to go with Godinez as well. Uh, the The only thing that's really concerning me is that she is stepping in on pretty short notice but she's talented i mean she's come a long way she's she's impressed me so far in her professional career now she did have her struggles as an amateur i think she went four four and one um as an amateur but since turning pro uh she's five and oh she's got wins in lfa she's got wins in combate um, you know, she's taken on some decent competition, not amazing competition, but every opponent has, you know, had a winning record or an even record. So, um, I think that, you know, she's challenging herself and this is by far the biggest challenge of her career, but with Penne, um, you know, she hasn't fought in four years. And while she does have some talent, even before her last fight, she lost three in a row. Now, again, you look at who she lost to, uh, young Chechek in a title fight, then got dominated by Jessica Andrade, who went on to become champion. Um, and then uh, Daniel Taylor, who is, uh, you know, a decent up and coming prospect was her last fight that she lost by decision on the feet. Uh, Penny just does not offer much. She has some pretty rudimentary striking skills. And I think Godinez is going to be the significantly better striker. Um, I don't know if Godinez can finish her, but I think Godinez can just outpace her and pressure her and just fluster Penne. And as Nick said, Penne's 38 years old and hasn't fought in four years. I mean, most people would be retired at this point, uh, but, you know, she's given it another crack. And I think that uh, Godinez is that young up-and-comer that's looking for an opportunity, and this is a great opportunity for her. Um, now, Penny still is an elite grappler, so if she can drag this fight to the floor, she can definitely get a finish uh, by submission. Uh, Godinez did get submitted once in one of her losses as an amateur, and I guarantee that Penny has a better ground game than anybody she's fought yet. So she does not want this fight to go to the floor. Absolutely does not, uh, because Penny could wrap her up in something. I mean, she is a crafty grappler, so... Uh, I'm a little concerned about what happens if uh, Penne gets this to the floor, but on the feet, it should be Godinez all day. I mean, she's just 11 years younger. She's faster. She's quicker. She's got the better uh, striking technique. I think that she rolls on the feet, but she just has to avoid allowing Penne to close the distance. And I think that she wins a decision. So Godinez is my pick as well. Now, moving up to the heavyweight division, 
we have Alexander Romanov, who is 13-0, taking on Juan Espino, who is 10-1. Now, Nick, where did this fight open, and how has the public shifted things so far? Romanov opened minus 115, Espino minus 115. This fight opened exactly pick them. And right now what we're seeing over at Circus Sports is currently Romanov minus 140, the comeback, and Espino at plus 120. Intriguing matchup, man. I mean, going back through the footage on both these guys, it's hard not to like Romanov in this spot because I think he does have more ways to win. I think he's got the better stand-up game. I think he's a little bit physically stronger. I think he's got a great ground game. But that ground game could get himself in some trouble here because Espino does have some underrated wrestling, and he's got a good submission game in his own right, obviously. That's how he wins most of his fights. Um, So if we see Romanov put on his back, it's going to be interesting. Or the way he kind of goes at takedowns, I think he can get himself caught in a guillotine possibly as well because, I mean, these guys are definitely going to stick their necks in dangerous, tough spots against each other here looking for those takedowns. So it's going to be interesting. I mean, both these guys are, again, submission kind of specialists, but I think Romanov is a little bit more of the complete fighter. I think he's the better fighter. He's a little bit younger, and I think I'm going to side with him, but it is intriguing because, like I said, I think both these guys want to take this fight to the floor. They both have skills and pass the victory on the ground, and I think they're going to be difficult for each other. Whoever gets on top here is probably going to have a little bit more success. I would imagine. So I think that's going to be key. So I'm going to lean Romanoff. I think he can win this fight on the feet, possibly by knockout. I think he can win by possible submission. I think he can maybe win by uh, decision if it goes that long. I don't expect it to, but he's got more ways to win this fight where I think Espino is basically a submission or bust type of situation here in this spot. So I'll side with Romanoff. Yeah, I like Romanov as well. I mean, both of these guys are talented. I mean, Espino had a nice little run there on The Ultimate Fighter Season 28. He beat uh, Ben Sassoli. He beat Maurice Green. Uh, ended up getting uh, tapped out by uh, Juan Frazier on the, the finale. But uh, he ended up uh, coming back and getting an impressive performance there against uh, Jeff Hughes on Fight Island. So uh, it seems like... You know, he's in a decent spot here, and he is a big, strong heavyweight. That being said, uh, I really do like Romanov. I mean, this guy uh, had a nice UFC debut there against uh, Roque Martinez, ended up getting a dominant second-round submission win. And then, uh, most recently, he was able to completely dominate uh, Marcos Rogerio de Lima, uh, ended up getting a, a forearm choke to earn a performance of the night bonus. So, uh, he has been dominant so far in throughout his UFC or and MMA career in general, uh, going uh, thirteen and zero, um, with nine of his thirteen wins coming by submission. So, I think uh, even though Romanov did struggle at times with Delima, um, I think that he is you know the the younger, more effective fighter here. Um, I think uh, he even has a, a little bit of a, a speed advantage as well against uh, es- Espino. Um, plus, uh, I think the longer this fight goes, the better it is for Romanov. Uh, he has a pretty good gas tank. He can push the pace, and then as his opponent starts to slow down, he can take over. Um, I think Espino will be able to hold his own early, but as this fight wears on, I think Romanov takes over. Um, so... Uh, Espino does have uh, pretty good overall skills just about everywhere. Um, good power, pretty good ground game. So I think if he gets a finish, he's going to have to do it quickly because Romanov has the speed, he's got the conditioning, um, and I think that he just wears Espino down and either gets a late finish or maybe even a, a second round finish or win to decision. So uh, Romanov is going to be my pick. Now, dropping down to the women's flyweight division, we have Tracy Cortez, who is 8-1, and one, taking on Justine Kish, who is and 7-3. Now, Nick, what's the MMA oddsmaker's perspective on this one? Cortez opened minus 235, the comeback on Kish at plus 200. And right now, what we're seeing over at Circus Sports is Cortez minus 285, the comeback on Kish at plus 240. So more action coming in on Cortez. I mean, she is the popular upcoming fighter, obviously. She's dropping back down to 125, which I think is a good move for her. And we'll see how her career progresses. I mean, she's got a lot of skill, a lot of potential, a lot of ability. A very tough fight here against Kish because I think Kish is a pretty well-rounded, experienced vet, savvy vet that's always game and comes to fight. She has underrated stand-up in some ways. I think Kish can be effective at times with her counterpunching. 
Um, she has a good ground game, good wrestling, decent takedown defense at times. So it's again, it's a test for Cortez because she's going to be in a firefight and she's going to be tested in every aspect of mixed martial arts here. But I do think Cortez on the feet will hang with Kish. She'll have her moments as well. She'll be able to control this fight, get this fight to the floor, drop some ground and pound and make this a tough fight for Kish and probably end up outpointing Kish along the way to a unanimous type of decision. Maybe it's a 29, 28 type of fight, but I do think Cortez wins this and likely on the scorecard. So I do get it. I think Cortez is probably the rightful side, but as the line creeps up to 300, I think it's going to be competitive. It's a ladies' fight. That's always, it seems like women's fights, as we know, typically are pretty close when they hit the scorecards. And we talk about it every podcast, every show, how bad the judging in the UFC is. So if you're laying almost three to one on a competitive type of fight, I think you're kind of asking for a bad beat. So stay away from it if it hits around 300. But I do like Cortez in this fight. I really like Cortez in this fight. I mean, she was a competitive UFC women's bantamweight. And granted, before she came to the UFC, she was spending most of her, her career, pretty much I think all of her career, in the women's flyweight division. So now she's kind of returning to her division. And even after having success against girls 10 pounds heavier, I think that she's going to flourish here as well. I mean, she just has a strong, aggressive ground game. Um, she has, uh, I think she's on the rise in uh, women's MMA, while Kish is definitely on a decline. I mean, she started her career 5-0, and and she's since lost three of her last four, um, and then most recently got finished by Sabina Masso, somebody that I think is a little bit overrated in the division, and uh, I think Cortez is actually a tougher fight for Kish than Masso was, so... Uh, you know, Kish has the ability to have close fights with a lot of people. I mean, she did have a split decision with Ji uh, Yeon Kim and then came back to win a decision against Pudilova. So she can hold her own. But I think Cortez, who had success, you know, at Bantamweight, is going to end. Looked pretty good on the scales overall. Um, although uh, this is uh, taking place at uh, a catchweight, I believe. Just barely. Um, but I think uh, Cortez is going to get takedowns. I think that she's going to secure top position. And I don't think Kish's ground game is good enough to fend her off. So at worst, Cortez wins a decision and she might get a finish along the way. So Cortez is going to be my pick. Now, kicking off the main card in the lightweight division, we have Luis Pena, who is 8-3. Taking on Alex Munoz, who is six and one. Now, Nick, where did this fight open, and how has the public shifted things so far? Pena opened minus one seventy-five. The comeback on Munoz at plus one fifty, and right now over Circus Sports, we are seeing the line down at minus one forty for Pena. The comeback on Munoz at plus one twenty. I understand the early dog action. We did see some action on the way back up a little bit to, uh, towards Pena, so this has had uh, two-way action from the start on this fight. And it's intriguing for sure, because you have Pena with that length. That's always difficult to deal with, but he's got skill to go along with it. So he's not an easy out on the feet. Um, he's aggressive. He's dangerous on the ground. Of course, he's got that nasty submission game, unorthodox, and he utilizes that length very well on the ground as well. So this guy is just a very difficult out an extremely talented individual. He just hasn't lived up to what we expected. I think thus far, I mean, he's had his moments and his letdowns and fight IQ coming along with it. And things just haven't worked out for him that well, but he's still very dangerous in his game. And it's going to be one of the most difficult fights of Munoz's career but the last one I think against Hakaparis was obviously that case as well he got beat up in that fight he took a lot of damage but he showed me a lot of toughness and his ability to get the fight down to the floor early is probably going to pay dividends in most cases for him because I think Hakaparis has developed his takedown defense to not be an easy guy to take down um, and then he gets back up pretty quickly as well so I think Munoz's ground game is going to come into play here. I think he's got to have to be careful because Pena is going to be constantly going for submissions. But I think Munoz can stay safe, control this fight on the ground, has enough pop on the feet to probably do damage along the way as well. Because I think he's the case where he's a wrestler that's improving his stand-up and you have to respect it. Even though he got outpointed and outstruck on the feet against Akparis, I think he's going to fare a little bit better here in this spot with Pena. So I think he's a capable underdog here and it should be a lot closer to a toss-up, pick-em type of fight. Um, so if you're getting dog value, I think it's a dog or pass situation more than likely. So I'm going to actually pick Munoz to pull off the slight upset win here. I know Pena is going to be a difficult test for him, but I think it is kind of still a step down for him in comparison to his last fight. And I think he gets a W here. 
I'm going to go with Munoz, and it's not exactly because I like Munoz. It's more that I'm just seeing Pena becoming more and more unreliable. Uh, Watching him fight, I mean, it seems like he has all the skills in the world. Uh, He's got uh, crazy statistics for a lightweight at six foot three um, with a 75 inch reach. Uh, he's, he's tall. He's long. He's got power and he has a good ground game. So, I mean, he just has no excuse for the under performances that he's had so far in, uh, inside the octagon. Um, I mean, he, he dropped the split decision to Trezano. He lost the split decision to Frivola. Most recently got choked out by comma worthy. Um, I mean, even his wins aren't that impressive. I mean, you look at who he's beat so far in the UFC, Steve Peterson, Matt Wyman, Richie Smolin, and Steve Garcia, you know? Uh, the, the best one there was Wyman, and Wyman was really good a decade ago, not today. So, you know, there's really not that much to like in terms of how Pena's performed inside the octagon. It's just been disappointment after disappointment after disappointment after beating somebody that's washed up or somebody that's not that great. So um, I think that Pena underperforms again. Uh, Munoz, while he did uh, drop uh, a decision to Heck Parist, I mean, Heck Parist is rock solid. I mean, this guy has really good power. He's a good striker. Uh, and Munoz just wasn't able to get it going against him, but he showed a lot of fight. He was in there. Um, so I think as long as he sticks it out against Pena, maybe Pena starts strong, but I think Munoz finishes strong. So I'm going to go Munoz uh, pulling off the upset as well, either by decision or maybe even a late finish if Pena starts to fade. Now, moving up to the middleweight division, we have Abdul Razak Al-Hassan, who is 10-3, taking on Jacob Malkoon, who is 4-1. Now, Nick. Where did this fight open, and how has the public shifted things so far? Al Hassan minus two fifty, the comeback on Malkoon at plus two eighty five, and right now looking over at Circus Sports, we are currently seeing Al Hassan minus two eighty five, the comeback on Malkoon at plus two forty. So Al Hassan, of course, getting a little bit more love. I understand it. He should, man. I know he's moving up to middleweight. He had some problems with his weight cut last time, and he got he's coming off a devastating knockout loss. The last few times, he's had a difficult weight cut. To be honest with you, so one seventy not the most ideal weight class for him. So he's bumping up to 185 for health reasons and I can understand it. So this should be maybe a more comfortable, obvious weight cut for him and he should be able to perform a little bit better. Malkoon, on the other hand, I mean, a little bit of hype coming into his UFC debut and he just got destroyed. I mean, Haas credit Haas for getting that W and him just going out there and blitzing him. Um, so I don't think Malkoon's going to end up looking quite that bad, but still Al-Hassan I think has showed us more and we have to kind of expect him to be able to win a fight like this in this spot. If he can't, I mean, Malkoon does have a little bit of power on the feet, of course, so you have to respect that. If he gets his offense going, maybe he can clip Al-Hassan and put him out. But other than that, I think it's Al-Hassan's fight to win or lose, to be honest with you. So again, this is a good test for Malkoon to come in here and prove everybody that that last fight was just one of those things that he got caught uh, and he belongs on the roster and you know get the upset win here. But until I see it, I'm going to have to side the other way. Now, I don't trust Al-Hassan all that much either because, again, I mean, that devastating knockout loss – um, that he suffered from. I mean, we don't know what the lingering effects are from that. I, I'm sure he's going to probably be okay in this spot. So, uh, you know, maybe I shouldn't be doubting him that much, but it's still hard against another powerful striker on the other end of it. Whether you're more skilled than that striker or not, all it takes is one punch, obviously, to, to end your night early. So I, until I see Hassan kind of coming back in and, and getting back to form and looking better in the middleweight division, I'm going to kind of stay away from him, especially at a chalky price like this. So I'm going to pick him to win. But again, another spot at the betting window that's kind of a head-scratcher. And I'm going to go with Al-Hassan as well. Um, the big concern here is how is he going to perform moving up a weight class? Now, he was cutting a lot of weight. It was a tough cut for him to make welterweight. But now he's moving up, and he is going to be uh, competing in the middleweight division. And uh, Malkoon is no joke. I mean, his first fight did not go well at all. Getting knocked out in 18 seconds in the UFC debut against Phil Hawes. But... Before that, he was undefeated in, in MMA at a 4-0 and had also picked up uh, a few victories in uh, boxing as well. So, you know, this guy is a decent striker. Um, he just you know, got caught by uh, Phil Hawes. 
he absolutely could be, you know, the one that catches Al Hassan. I mean, you saw what happened with Al Hassan in his last fight as well, um, getting absolutely blasted by Chaos Williams in 30 seconds. And before that, you know, he kind of got styled on by uh, Munir Lezez, uh for, for three straight rounds. So Al Hassan is super dangerous when he's on the offense. I mean, you just have to look at his performances inside the octagon. Uh, he's got a 53-second knockout against Charlie Ward, uh, a first-round knockout against Saba Hamasi, uh, another first-round knockout against Saba Hamasi, and then most uh, recent victory was a 43-second win against Nico Price, uh, you know, and that's a quality win. So, you know, this guy is extremely dangerous, extremely powerful. So, for me, this one kind of boils down to who lands that first big punch, um, and I'm going to go with Al Hassan. I think that he's kind of got that speed, that quickness. Um, and I think that he does land that first big shot. But if it's Malkoon, he could be the one flattening Al Hassan as well. So um, it, it, this is a tough fight because of the volatility with both guys coming off of devastating sub 30 second knockout losses. Uh, but I do believe in Al Hassan's power a little bit more and he's got more UFC experience so I think he overcomes moving up a weight class and does get that win. But Malkoon is dangerous. Now, moving back up to the heavyweight division, we have Andre Arlovsky, who is 30 and 20, taking on Chase Sherman, who is 15 and 6. Now, Nick, where did this fight open and how has the public shifted things so far? Arlovsky opened minus 130, the comeback of Sherman at plus 110. And right now, looking over Circus Sportsbook, we have Arlovsky down to minus 115 to come back on Sherman at minus 105. So basically, a pick and fight with a very tiny, tiny lean towards Arlovsky. Interesting scrap, man. I mean, I understand the narrative here. Arlovsky has looked good against very good competition, and Sherman might be a step down in comparison, right? But I still think that Sherman is on the rise a little bit, as crazy as it sounds. And I think he's dangerous enough here to give Arlovsky some problems with his aggression, with his knockout power. I mean, we've seen Orlovsky get knocked out time and time again. Now, look, don't get me wrong. I think on this latest UFC stint, his chin has actually been better than expected. He's fighting a lot smarter. He's fighting better defensively, and he is more technical than Sherman. He's a better mixed martial artist than Sherman. But I still think this is a great spot for Sherman to come in here and test that chin of Orlovsky once again. And I think if he gets in a firefight, which Sherman is kind of capable of bringing that out of people, that I think it might bode well for him. I mean, obviously, these guys can knock each other out. They have that much power. Uh, but I do think that Sherman is probably in a spot where he could be a slight favorite in this situation. So I'm going to lean. I know it's not going to be a popular opinion again, especially since Orlovsky has faced really good competition and he's been kind of in that gatekeeper role and has shut the gate on quite a few prospects as of late. And a lot of people would not consider Sherman a prospect. I just think this is a good spot and a good time for him to get Orlovsky. So I'm going to pick him to win. I think he's capable of possibly getting the knockout. So my pick is Sherman, and it should be an exciting fight. I don't think it goes to the cards. I mean, he could, but I think someone's going to sleep here, and I think it's probably Orlovsky. Sherman could win this fight. I mean, if he takes the fight to Orlovsky and Orlovsky can't handle the pressure, then yeah, he could land something and, and take Orlovsky out. But I think Orlovsky has done a good job of being a gatekeeper in the heavyweight division. And so far, you know, when guys are fringe top 15, try to, to make the top 15 and take on Orlovsky, he usually holds that gate pretty strong. I mean, we've seen, um, you know, the, the, the best of the best when they face Orlovsky, you know, they get the win. You know, uh, Overeem, Miosic, Francis Ngannou, uh, more recently... Uh, Rosenstruik, Espinal, they all pass the gate. But you look at uh, Junior Albini, Ben Rothwell, most recently, Philippe, Philippe Linz and uh, Tanner Boser, none of those guys were able to pass the gate. I just don't think Chase Sherman's any better than any of those guys that Arlovsky was able to uh, win a boring decision against. Um, I mean, he just has this ability to slow the fight down, make it ugly, and unless you are an extremely skilled fighter, you're stuck. Uh, you're kind of wading through the mud in a fight against Orlovsky at this point. The last person that really forced Orlovsky into a firefight was, uh, believe it or not, I think Travis Brown. But, I mean, they did have some history sparring with each other before that. And Orlovsky won that fight. He ended up knocking him out. So, I think 
if Sherman wants to be reckless and force Arlovsky into a more of a brawl, I think that's to his detriment because Arlovsky is the superior technical striker. And I think Sherman's chin is just as bad as Arlovsky's. It's just Arlovsky has been fighting longer. So I think if Sherman does try to, to wage into the fire, I think Arlovsky knocks him out. And if he doesn't, I think Arlovsky just fights a slow, plodding, measured fight and wins a decision. Um, I just, Sherman has some power and he could win by knockout, but I think it's a much more likely outcome that Arlovsky walks away with the victory here. I just don't think Sherman's good enough to pass that uh, gatekeeper here. So Arlovsky is my pick. Now, dropping down to the lightweight division for the co-main event of the evening, we have Drakkar Close, who is 11-2-1, taking on Jeremy Stevens, who is 28-18. Now, Nick, what's the MMA Oddsmaker's perspective on this one? This fight opened exactly a pick on minus 110 each way. And right now at Circus Sports, we are seeing Stevens minus 125, the comeback on Close at plus 105, and the line did get up towards 150-ish or so for Stevens at one point. Now we're seeing action come back down, I think, market-wide. So there has been two-way action in this fight. Early on, it was Stevens. Now we're starting to see some action more towards close. Intriguing fight. I think this is a good spot for both gentlemen here, obviously. Both coming off losses. I think Stevens moving back up to lightweight is very intriguing for a lot of people. I mean, he's fought the best of the best. He's been in the UFC for so long. And if you look at just the people and level of competition he's faced, I mean top of the food chain so he always has that knockout power in his back pocket he's faced the best possible competition there is to face a lot of people were on that train and believe that close coming off of a knockout loss to Darius is going to get destroyed here by Stevens uh, because he is again that knockout artist that we all love to watch fight because he is exciting and almost every fight that he's in is a barn burner for Stevens so you got to love that with him um, I just think people are underestimating close here a little bit I mean I think close has a little bit more power than people are giving him credit for on the feet, so he can cause some damage here along the way. He's also, I think, the better grinder. He's going to be able to control and dictate the pace of this fight, uh, maybe get some takedowns. It might not be easy to, to hold Stevens down on the ground, but I think he can still mix things up good enough to kind of win on the scorecards as far as points go. So if Stevens doesn't get close out of there, I think it's he's not going to win this fight. I think Close is going to edge him out on the cards. I think Close actually has the ability to possibly finish him on the feet as well. So there's more paths to victory, in my opinion, for Close to win over um, Stevens in this spot. So I got to kind of lean with him. I know, again, it's not going to be a popular opinion, but I do think that at plus money, it's a dog or pass situation for sure. And I'm going to pick the close side because I do think that he's going to come away with a W here and he's going to surprise a lot of people. So should be a great fight. I wouldn't walk away from your TV sets on this one. I'm anticipating this fight not to go the distance as well. I think somebody is probably getting put to sleep. Um, and I think, believe it or not, it's going to go against the narrative of Stevens knocking close out. I think close probably knocks Stevens out. And I'm going to go with close as well. Uh, you know, this is a guy that has some quality wins already in the lightweight division. Uh, he's beat, you know, Mark Dye Casey. He beat Lando Panetta. He beat Bobby Green. He beat Christos Giagos. Um, and he was actually on his way to beating Benil Dariush, had him hurt, but then uh, got reckless trying to pursue the finish and ended up opening himself up to get knocked out uh, by Darius. I mean, it was a crazy round. One of my favorite rounds uh, of uh, 2020. But uh, I think in this fight, Jeremy Stevens, you know, you got to remember, he has spent, I think, the last three years in the featherweight division. And this is his return to lightweight because he's lost... Uh, he's gone 0-4 with one no contest in his last five fights. Um, granted, he has fight, fought some of the best of the best in the division at featherweight, but it's clear that he just wasn't competitive against the best guys. Um, I mean, he got finished in two of those fights and then lost pretty one-sided decisions in the other two. So... I think uh, this is kind of a desperation move because, you know, the move to drop to featherweight was a bit of a desperation uh, move for Stevens, if you remember, because he had uh, just lost, uh, you know, a few in a row and uh, dropped down and looked great at first, picking up two two wins in a row at featherweight over uh, Choi and Emmett. But uh, he, he's come back to earth. Um, Stevens' chin is getting worse as well. Uh, we are seeing him get hurt and knocked out more and more often. And 
While Close isn't a huge knockout artist, he did show some pop in his last fight against Darius, so there is a decent chance that he uh, could get a knockout against somebody that's taken so many blows to the head as Stevens over the course of his career. Now, uh, Stevens does have power too, and after Close got knocked out, you know, it's totally possible that Stevens could land something like that and put Close away. But I think the most likely outcome here is Close fights uh, an aggressive, pressure-based attack on the feet, um, forces Stevens to fight from his back foot, um, and just makes Stevens uncomfortable over the course of three rounds. Close can mix in takedowns. We haven't seen him have a lot of success with wrestling, but I do think he's the better wrestler here as well. So that's just another layer that he has potentially to, to use in this fight. So, yeah, I think Close just puts the pressure on Stevens, makes him fight off the back foot, and wins rounds. Uh, I'm not convinced he's going to win by stoppage. If anybody wins by stoppage, it might be Stevens landing that, you know, crazy uppercut or some big overhand looping shot. Uh, but uh, I think Close does enough to get the job done and win a decision. So Close is going to be my pick. Now, moving up to the middleweight division, we have Robert Whitaker, who is 22 and 5, taking on Kelvin Gastelum, who is 17 and 6. Now, Nick. Where did this fight open, and how has the public shifted things so far? Whitaker opened minus 275, the comeback on Gaslam at plus 250. And right now, what we're seeing over at Circus Sports, Whitaker minus 235, Gaslam plus 200. And I'll just tell you a moment, something that's kind of surprising. It doesn't happen very often, but I did open the line at Circa at minus 235, plus 200, and the line has stayed steady. We haven't moved it one time. So that tells you what kind of action and has come in. I mean, it's been a steady two-way flow for us overall. I mean, more people are parlaying Whitaker, of course, but nothing significant for us to cause the line to move up a little bit, whereas market-wide has bounced up a little bit. Now it's coming back down as we speak. So I think it's an interesting spot for sure. A lot of people are going to favor Whitaker. I think he's more of the public side here for sure. I'm not saying that it's wrong, but I mean, Whitaker has bounced back nicely after that loss to Izzy in those two fights from Romero. A lot of people thought he was pretty much a declining fighter, myself included, but bouncing back and getting quality wins like he has, I think has gotten him back in the spotlight and gotten him back in line for a title shot here soon, especially if he beats uh, Gaslam in the spot. So Whitaker is not done. He definitely has enough left in the tank to uh, make another run, as we said. But I think this fight is still going to be a very difficult one for him. I mean, Whitaker is a talented guy on the feet. He has good striking for sure. He's got KO power that I think a lot of people probably are forgetting about. I mean, he is definitely a finisher and capable of doing so, even though he's been kind of in these wars as of late um, that have been going to the scorecards more so than not. I think Whitaker still has that finishing potential for sure. Very smart fighter, good IQ. So he's a tough out. But on the other end of it, Gaslam, even though he's smaller here, I think he presents a lot of problems as well. His boxing is good. He's got quick hands. He's got knockout power. And I think he counter punches extremely well. Whitaker, we have seen him get hit time and time again. So I think that the path to victory is there with his counter shots for Gassim. I think he can knock Whitaker out on the feet. I think he's going to be more competitive across the board. And it's not going to be an easy point fighting type of win for Whitaker if he does hit the scorecards. I think it'll be a toss-up type of fight. I mean, when is Gaslam ever really getting blown out on the scorecards? I haven't seen it. I mean, even against Izzy, um, he's definitely done pretty well. I mean, I know he's lost decisions, and I'm not saying they've been all controversial or whatnot for Gaslam, but I'm trying to say is more times than not, even against high-level competition, he hangs in there and makes it intriguing. Even if he is a loser on the cards, it's close enough to, to give him a thought for sure um, as far as the cards go. So he's game. I think he's going to be in this fight as well. He shows up. I think that fight against Heinish in his last uh, bout that wasn't too long ago, a few uh, weeks back, actually did him a lot of good because we needed to see him bounce back, get that confidence back a little bit over a very solid opponent and a guy like Heinish. So I think that did him a lot of good. It was almost like a hard-fought training session. So I like where he's at here. He's got to have some confidence. I think he's got to have a lot to fight for here because he knows if he beats Whitaker, he's right back in the mix himself. So he's in a good spot in his career right now where he could come in here and pick off this win and really elevate him back to where everybody actually has been talking about before he got that win against Heinish. I mean, coming off three straight losses, a lot of people were thinking he's on the decline and he's basically washed up as well. So a lot to prove here. 
And I think Gaslam is a dog or pass situation. I mean, this fight should be a lot tighter than it currently is. I don't think it should be over minus 200, that's for sure. And you're getting plus 200 or above still market-wide. So it's a dog or pass situation, and I'm going to actually pick Gaslam to win this fight straight out. I think people are underestimating him here. I think he does have that knockout power, and on the scorecards, it will be a lot closer, as I said. So it's Gaslam or pass, in my opinion. And I'm going to go the other way. I mean, I really think Whitaker has a big advantage here. Uh, Whitaker is the better striker. He pushes a strong pace over the course of five rounds with great conditioning, and he has really good takedown defense. So he kind of neutralizes a lot of the strengths of Gastelum. Um, as you saw in Gastelum's last fight, it seemed like he put a lot of focus in on his wrestling, um, and his striking actually was about as bad as it's ever been. Um, you know, Ian Heinish was actually holding his own with Gastelum on the feet. And I can tell you right now, Robert Whitaker is a much better striker than Ian Heinish. And it's kind of perplexing because Gastelum's held his own on the feet with Israel Adesanya. So I just, I don't understand why he had so much trouble. Maybe he was just aggressively looking for the takedown and not thinking about the stand-up too much. Uh, but I think the takedowns are going to be really hard to come by for Gastelum this time around. I mean, uh, Whitaker's takedown defense is excellent. I mean, even with torn knees, he was fending off Yoel Romero for two straight fights. So if Gastelum's going to win this fight, it probably has to be on the feet and he has to land that big shot because I do think Whitaker will push a, a better pace than Gastelum. Um, Gastelum might have better pure one-punch power. So if Gastelum's going to win, I think he needs to land that one big shot and hurt Whitaker because we have seen Whitaker get knocked out. We have seen Whitaker get hurt. So, and Gastelum does have that type of power that if it connects with something solid that maybe Whitaker doesn't see coming, then yeah, he definitely can, can win by knockout. Um, but does he have the technique to land that type of shot? I'm not sure. Um, you know, so far he hasn't been able to land that huge shot against somebody that wasn't, you know, a little bit older, like a, like a Michael Bisping or something. So I think in this fight, um, Whitaker is going to get the better of Gastelum in the standup. I think he's going to stuff Gastelum's takedowns. And I think if, especially if Gastelum attempts a lot of takedowns in this fight and Whitaker is stuffing them, I think Gastelum's going to get tired. So... I'm picking uh, Robert Whitaker to win by decision. I think uh, probably wins four out of the five rounds, if not more. So Whitaker is my pick. So that'll do it for a full event breakdown for UFC Vegas 24. If we have any free plays to give out, make sure to follow at MMAOBpremium on Twitter, because that's where we'll give them out first. Um, you can also check out the MMA Onsbreaker website, we have a free bets tab at the top of the website. So uh, AJ and uh, we also have uh, Justin Hurst NASCAR bets on there. So remember, check out MMA Oddsbreaker Premium as well. Good luck, everyone, and hopefully the betting gods are on your side this weekend.